Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Amen. So, uh, we're following the life of Jesus. Uh, He just finished selecting his disciples, uh, teaching on the mount or the plain or the plateau, whatever you want to call it, um, and inviting people to examine themselves, right? He invites people to examine themselves. uh, And this examination was an invitation to recognize their need for God right? When I examine myself, I recognize that I can't live in this way that Jesus calls me to live. I need the Holy Spirit to transform and change my heart. It was also an invitation to take seriously the way of Jesus, right? Uh, Have you guys heard that phrase before, the way of Jesus? Anyone? The way. The The early church wasn't called Christianity, right? It wasn't called the church. They were called the way. Right. It wasn't until uh, a couple of decades into the whole movement that somebody uh, in Antioch starts calling them Christians, like little Christs. Up until then, they were called the followers of the way. And so this was an invitation to take seriously living out the way of Jesus. And so that's that was chapter six. And we're starting chapter seven, which is uh, Luke basically compiles four stories, four different responses to this invitation. Right? And we're going to cover one of them uh, each week for the next four weeks, starting with the centurion today, widow's son tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. It'll be four days of, of church for you guys. Uh, on set, uh, Next Sunday, then we're going to talk about John the Baptist, uh, and then we're going to talk about the sinful woman uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, I love this because it's really, really intentional. Luke is intentionally like picking out these stories to show like this is what Jesus taught, this is what he did, this is what he invited people to, and this is how some of the different people responded. And I hope you will find yourself, like, your story in one of these stories. Okay, they're they're very different, right? And each one of them has a different response. Um, all of them, almost all of them, are positive. Uh, but it's an invitation for us to. Uh, to put ourselves in their shoes and consider how we fit into Jesus' story. Um, each story is going to highlight Jesus in a unique way. And the whole point of us even doing this study is to learn Jesus, right? How We think we know him. 
We think we know what he's like. We think we know what he would say. We think we know what he would do. But do you ever look at the scriptures and say, and find yourself at a, at a moment where you're like, oh, I actually didn't realize that Jesus said that, or I didn't realize that he did that, or did, didn't realize that he acted like this. This is the invitation that we're having together is to, to look at Jesus and say, would you, would you come afresh to us? Right? Would you, would you reignite in our hearts a love and a passion for you? Um, and then each story is going to actually address uh, key aspects of what it means to live out the way of Jesus. Okay, so today we're going to talk about this, uh, uh, the, the themes of worth, works, and faith, which all work together. Worth, works, and faith. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll jump right into the text, and we're going to power through this as fast as I can. Um, Holy Spirit, you have given us your word. Uh, you have given us uh, the promise that you would teach us your word, that you would help us to understand your word. And even right now, I ask, Father, that you would um, that you would speak through me, that you would uh, cause me to be silent in the areas where I don't need to speak up and cause me to uh, just lead me to speak up in the areas that are, that are important here. And I pray that you would uh, use your word to transform and change and challenge us to make us more like you. Um, don't let us look at this mirror that is your word and walk away without making uh, the changes that you're calling us to. Um, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so John just read Luke 7. I'm going to read it one more time because I think it's important for us to hear it multiple times. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 7 verse 1. And after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Uh, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued to him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. Uh, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Uh, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is a, a crazy story. All right? I, if you've grown up listening to this, you, you may gloss over certain aspects of it. But this is a, it's chock full of these unexpected like plot twist moments where you're like, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. This shouldn't go like that. And yet these things happen this way. Okay, it's, and we're going to unpack those in a second. But uh, Jesus, after, after he's finished teaching uh, the, the crowds, he goes back to a place called Capernaum. And I don't expect you to remember this because it's been probably three or four months since we covered this passage. Um, but in chapter 4 of Luke, you guys weren't even here. In chapter 4 of Luke, um, Jesus actually teaches at a synagogue in Capernaum. All right, And during his teaching, do you guys remember what happens there? Anyone? okay if you know so that's that was in nazareth but that was a little bit before not nazareth um yeah nazareth i think um it's after that 
That's a, that's a really good guess. Um, a demon-possessed man comes to him. Uh, and the demon uh, throws, uh, basically comes upon this man and he throws him on the ground. And, uh, and Jesus casts out the demon. Uh, and everyone walks away in absolute awe. All right, there, it says uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 36, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Um, I want you to remember that phrase, authority and power. Authority and power. Um, Do you guys know what a centurion is? He's a soldier. He is the head of hundreds. Head of a hundred. So a century is a hundred years. A centurion is someone who was who was a, a Roman officer that oversaw and led a hundred men. So he's a guy with some power and authority. Um, also, the centurion is in Israel, a place that they are occupying. They're they're forcing peace and order onto this nation that is. Uh, a little bit antsy and a little bit rebellious and there's a little bit of tension between them but this centurion is someone who is in charge of uh, uh, of facilitating peace and order uh, in Israel Um, verse 3 it says that when the centurion heard about Jesus how did he hear about Jesus Yes, and what what report specifically? What report specifically? Yes. It doesn't say. It's okay. It, it, it says it says it. I'm freaking out about his authority and power. Okay. And the unclean spirits. Yes. Yes. Uh, specifically, it was his authority and his power that were so intriguing to the people in Capernaum. Uh, that the the news just spread like wild fi- wild fire. I almost said wildflowers, although those I guess would spread quickly as well. Um, Capernaum, by the way, is 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 like Jesus's home base. For this period of Jesus's ministry, he's going to keep coming back to Capernaum, and he's going to go out to the regions. He's going to come back to Capernaum, and until at like the end of chapter nine, where Jesus is going to basically set his heart for Jerusalem, and he's going to start the journey down to. Uh, down south of Jerusalem. Until that point, he is in this region, and Capernaum is his home base. Um, when we read this passage, is there anything that kind of jumped out at you or piqued your interest? It was the idea that this person who is outside of Israel uh, had such great faith. Yeah. Jesus yeah. We'll talk about that in a second, because that is huge. Yeah. Um, and I was about the Beatitudes and quotes. Yeah. Says, you who are, you know, uh, wealthy and wealthy, like, 
Yeah. Yeah. You know that, oh, like, but this is not, like, you know, maybe, like, the kind of, like, the person that you expect to, to be, like, fit, like, the woes and the attitude. Yeah. Um, and while, well, like, the Jewish leaders say, you know, like, hey, like, this guy is worthy, he says of himself, I'm not worthy. Yeah. Um, so it's just really interesting because yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, sometimes we get hung up with the, those woes is, like, oh, like, Yeah. Yeah. This. So let's talk about these five. I have five very unexpected, unusual plot twists in this story, and that's that's one of them. We're going to talk about that in a second. I love that you you caught on to that. Um, in in uh, in verse two and verse five, this is plot twist number one. We learn that the centurion has great love for uh, for the, his own servant, which is a big deal. Right? This guy's a slave, and the centurion has love for him, uh, for the nation of Israel, and for the synagogue specifically. Verse 2 and verse 5. Um, he is described as someone who cares deeply for his servant. He, this, he's willing to go and humble himself in order to have this highly valued, highly loved servant be healed. Right? He's described as someone who loves the nation of Israel, uh, and that he, and it says that he built the synagogue, probably didn't physically, like, he paid for it, okay? And the crazy part is um, the synagogue no longer is no longer in existence. They have a new synagogue that was built later because that one was destroyed. But it was built on the foundation uh, of the old synagogue that, were, that is actually being described right here. So if you go to Jerusalem right now, you can, just, you can actually Google pictures of this as well, where you'll see this. It's called the Synagogue of Jesus. Um, and it's believed that this was the synagogue that Jesus taught in, that he cast out the demon in, that, that this centurion paid for. Um, and you'll see there's these white stones that are built on top. That's the actual structure of the building. And then these, these black stones that are the foundation. And the black stones are the original foundation of the synagogue. The, the stones that are black are literally the ones that the centurion paid for, still in existence in Jerusalem today. It's kind of, it's kind of fun to see something like that survive time, right? Uh, it was unusual. This is, this is why this is unexpected. It was unusual in Jesus' day for a Roman official, a Roman officer, to have any affection for the Jews. Right? They are the oppressors. The Jews do not like them, and there's always tension. And you see that all throughout um, the, the Bible. There's tension between the Romans and the Jews. Um, and almost every other officials that you see in the, in the scriptures have tension with the Jews. But for some reason, this centurion has a deep love and affection for uh, the, the nation of Israel and for the synagogue. Uh, unexpected plot twist number two. Um, the Jewish elders actually like this guy. Right, this is a big deal. Right, he has to be... He has to be someone extremely unique in order for the for the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, to have some sort of affection and love and high regard for the centurion. Um, and it says pretty clearly why, right? They they have a high regard for him because of what he's done for the Jews and how he cares for the Jews. Um, and they specifically call him worthy, uh, and they plead on his behalf. Uh, if you remember, 
the Jewish leadership, religious leadership, does not necessarily love Jesus. Right? For them to come to Jesus on behalf of a Gentile is a really big deal. Okay? Unexpected plot twist number three. Um, the fact that the centurion calls Jesus Lord is a really big deal. Um, in Jesus' time, there was only one person that was referred to with the title of Lord. Who was it? Caesar. Uh, I believe the phrase was Curios uh, Kaiser. Curios is Lord, Kaiser is Caesar. Right? Caesar was Lord. And if you remember from uh, any of your previous uh, Bible teachings, uh, the, the Caesar would claim divinity. Right, which would he would claim to be the son of God, and so when the early Christians start calling uh, Jesus Lord as and son of God, that was a direct affront to Caesar. They're, they're by default saying Caesar is not these things; Jesus is these things. Uh, later on, as the church is being persecuted by the uh, the Roman government, um, one of the things that the Roman government makes him do. Uh, to, to, to spare, the, if you want to spare your life, you've been captured for worshiping Jesus. He's a renegade, whatever, uh, person. Uh, you've been captured for worshiping Jesus. All you have to do in order to get out of prison or to get out of uh, torture or to get out of death is to offer a sacrifice and, and d declare that Caesar is Lord. And if you do that, you're good. Uh, and in Jesus's uh, day, when the centurion calls Jesus Lord, this is like, do you, do you see the big deal here? Right, this isn't like a Jewish person saying Jesus is Lord. This is a Roman official, a Roman officer, in essence, declaring the divinity of Jesus. You guys catch that? That's a big deal. Um, I love, this is uh, number four. I love that the centurion submits, recognizes and submits to Jesus' authority. Um, there are four layers uh, of authority in this passage. You have the servant uh, who has no power and no authority. Okay. Uh, you have the elders who have no power, but they do have some authority. They, have, they don't have any power to do anything. They're not in charge, but they do have authority. You have the centurion who has some power and, and a high level of authority. Uh, and then you have Jesus who has the highest power and the highest authority. Uh, and the, what, what jumps out at me with this is, man, if the boss is boss's boss... Uh, recognizes Jesus as the boss, right? How much more should I recognize that? Right? This is an unexpected thing. You would not expect a centurion to declare Jesus, uh, to recognize Jesus' authority in that way. Uh, and lastly, number five, uh, are you not shocked by the fact that Jesus, a Jew, uh, declares that uh, that a Gentile Roman oppressing official officer uh, has more faith than anyone in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. He's all about the heathens. He did not come for the the healthy. He came for the sick, right? Um, but it is significant. This is a, this is an accusation. Uh, of his own people, right? The children of God don't have as much faith as this Gentile sinner. 
right? This is an accusation and there's irony here. Um, I also think this is a little bit of a foreshadowing because Luke writes this book and he also writes the book of Acts, which is the story of how the church grows and specifically how it grows to the Gentiles. Not only that, but he's writing both of these books to a Gentile named Theophilus. And so uh, it's almost as if he's saying, in case you were worried that we kind of went rogue with this thing and went to the Gentiles without Jesus, like he even approved this back here. This is kind of like a, a little tag back to, to Jesus. Um, what you'll find in each of the stories in chapter 7 is that uh, the unexpected happens again and again and again. Right? You would think this is going to happen and something else happens. Right? You think this person is going to end up uh, uh, um, responding positively and, and they don't. Or you think this person is not going to respond positively, but they do. It's these, 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 these almost the, the great reversal is what it's called, right? The upside down kingdom. Uh, the things that you think are going to happen are not happening. And so we're going to see that a Roman official, uh, the centurion is going to come to faith. A prostitute is going to come to faith. A dead person is going to come to faith. Right? And ultimately, even John the Baptist is going to struggle with some doubt and going to come to faith. Um, I'm going to close this out by talking about um, worth, works, and faith, which is, I think, a key aspect, a key element of this passage. Worth, works, and faith. Um I think it's interesting that everyone in this passage thinks the centurion is worthy except for the centurion. Right? Everyone in this passage thinks that the centurion is worthy except for the centurion. Um, verse 4, it says, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Um, why did the religious leaders deem him worthy? Not a trick question. I mean, at the surface level, he's giving money and helping build a church. So I feel like that goes a long ways for a lot of people. Okay. Anything, anything else? I feel like just by them putting their name on it. Yeah. Yeah, he's got an affection. Obviously, he also cares for his servant well, right? Cares for him enough that he's going to humble himself and go potentially, like, potentially be guilty of treason, right? Calling Jesus Lord, recognizing his authority, humbling himself. Like, this is like anti Roman. People will be killed for doing this later. Yeah, it's, it's because of uh, his love for the servant, his love for the nations, and the good things that he has done. And I want to be careful here because uh, there's a difference between worthiness and value, right? Um, in the scriptures, we learn that every human being is made in the image of God. We learn that every human being has value and worth. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Every one of us is uh, has this intrinsic value within us placed there by God because we are bearers of the image of God. But what the elders here are, are, are implying is not that. What they're implying is that the centurion deserves God's favor because of his good works. The centurion deserves God's favor because of his good works. 
Uh, their understanding of his worth was tied to their good works, right? And this is every religion on earth, including some forms of Christianity, right? That what I do determines whether I will receive God's favor, right? If I do good things, if I do the right things, I'm going to receive God's favor. If I do the wrong things, uh, or if I don't do enough of the good things, I'm going to receive God's judgment or God's punishment. Um, and that is not what the scriptures teach us. Uh, Romans 3, uh, verse 23, tells us that we're all sinners. Right? Romans 3.10 tells us that there's no one who is righteous. All of us have turned aside. It literally says none of us are worthy. Isaiah chapter 64, this is the Old Testament. He tells us that our, our good works are like filthy rags. Right? Everything good that I could possibly do in this world uh, is not enough for me to earn God's favor, to, to deserve God's favor. And yet, despite all of this, we are told that Jesus and God loves us. Romans 5 verse 6 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Right. One pastor put it this way. says, you don't want to ever stand before God and, and ask him to give you what you deserve. Right? Because what we deserve is death. Your worth is not defined by what you do, but rather by what was done for you. Right? My worth, and, and I struggle with this to this day. Right? I find so much of my worth in my works, in my actions, in my job, in the things that I do, rather than what was done for me. Right? And I have to be reminded again and again. We call, when, this idea of reminding one another, we call that gospeling. Right? When I have a moment where I, am, uh, where I, I fail to believe the truths of the gospel, and I, and I start to believe that I have to earn my own favor from God... I need you guys to come around me and remind me of the gospel. Gospel me. All right. Uh, the reason I have worth is because a great price was paid for me. Do you guys ever remember uh, uh, the story of the Mona Lisa? Uh, originally, the Mona Lisa wasn't very famous or very popular. Do you remember why it became famous? Anyone? No? It was stolen. Because it was stolen, it became famous, and all of a sudden its value skyrocketed. Right? This, th this painting that was like nobody knew anything about it until it was stolen from a museum, all of a sudden it became this famous, worthy painting. Right? It wasn't worth much until it was stolen. A, a great price uh, was, was paid, and that is what gave it worth. Okay, uh, the centurion is the only person in this story, I think, who understands this. Right? He's the only one who knows that he's not worthy despite of all the good things he's done. He knows he's done good things. Right? But he knows that that does not equate to his worthiness uh, or that, that, that automatically he deserves Jesus for Jesus to do this for him. Right? He recognizes that Jesus can still heal his servant. And, he, and even the fact that he calls out to Jesus despite his unworthiness uh, is, is evidence of his faith. 
right? That he believes Jesus is teaching, that he believes Jesus is who he says he is, can do what he says he can do. And so the question this morning is, uh, what are you finding your worth in? I've already said, there are times when I'm guilty uh, of believing that my worth comes from what I do. And I, I think that some of you do as well. All right, if not all of you. All right, are you guilty of believing that your worth comes from what you do? Are you guilty of trying to earn God's favor uh, by your good works? Um, do you find yourself getting frustrated when God doesn't do his part in blessing you despite your goodness to him? I, I f- have those moments. I feel like, man, I've, I've done the right things. I've done uh, all these things that honor God. I've, I've uh, moved across the country to start a church. I, I read my Bible almost every day. Um, I spend time in prayer. I, I deserve a little bit of something here, right? I, 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 I have these moments where in my flesh I sink into these thoughts, and those are not, those are not biblical thoughts. Right? That is the enemy trying to turn me to religion rather than to this relationship with Jesus. Um, ultimately, Jesus praises a centurion. Why? And he praises him lavishly. Why does he praise him? His faith and his humility. Um, Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've been talk- We talked about that a couple months back. Um, this this person who was an enemy of uh, by status, he is an enemy to the nation of Israel, to the children of God, to God himself, understands God's love better than the children of God do. Right? And there's also a sense in which when the religious leaders come to Jesus and they, um, they start to uh, basically show the centurion's resume of all the good things he's done and why Jesus ought to go in and do this for him, uh, it's a it's a form of control, right? When I start to tally up the good things I've done versus the bad things I've done, it's a form of control, because I think that if I can do enough things, I can control God into giving me favor and blessing, right? Do you see that? The religious leaders are trying to control Jesus into action, whereas the centurion recognizes Jesus has ultimate authority, ultimate power. Right? And the only response to those two things is faith and humility. Um, let me ask you this, and then we'll re- close it from here. Um, from this passage, who is Jesus and what is he like? You can, you can skim through again if you want. What, what aspects of his character or his person uh, jump out at you as you read this passage? When you when you read this passage, who is Jesus and what is he like? I said earlier that every one of these stories is going to highlight a different aspect of who Jesus is and what he's like. What jumps out at you about his person and his character from this from this uh, passage? 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and like to a certain extent, like like that's absolutely true, but at the yeah. same time it's like he seems genuinely surprised. Yeah. In here. You know? Like if there's like a more like human composite image of who he is. Um, it's refreshing to see his humanity, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost like the unexpected. It was almost the unexpected. Yeah. I think to that point, too, I always, in the back of my mind, kind of thought of Jesus as the showman. He like shows up to the party, he's drinking water and wine, he's just like doing all these cool tricks. But like this is just this beautiful lesson where he's just taking a moment to like talk about this guy. And yeah. The side end result is what the centurion wanted before the city to serve it. Oh, and oh, by the way, it's great again. It's just, it's just honest, pure, beautiful moment, and the byproduct of that is what the century went out of his heart. Yeah. 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 When he sees faith, it's it's something that brings pleasure to him, right? I is anyone surprised by the fact that Jesus goes, right? I, maybe not surprised, but like, there's almost this like expectation that they're trying to like demand this service of him because this man obviously deserves it, which is also saying that other people don't deserve it. Um, and the fact that Jesus doesn't correct him, he just goes with him. Yeah. And humility and, and, and faith, yeah. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, we just know that uh, from, from studying the scriptures that Jesus' ministry when he's on earth is predominantly focused on the Jewish people. There's a couple of times when Gentiles come to him asking him to do certain things and, um, and he almost reminds them, like, hey, right, for right now, my ministry is right here. My focus is right here. Um, yeah, I just, I just love that he, he pauses from his mission to bless this centurion. All right, Jesus is a good, kind king. Yeah. The crumbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and that's, I mean, that's the theme that we see throughout Jesus' ministry is that the religious people are the ones that end up butting against Jesus uh, because he doesn't meet their requirements. Uh, and it's the sinners, the unexpected, the 
uh, undesirables, the whatever you want to call them that of the day that, that respond positively, and Jesus like is rejoicing in that. Um, this week, I want you to reflect on this idea of worth, works, and faith. Right, and and I want you to ask, like, is the Holy Spirit convicting me of an area of my life where I'm where I'm expecting Jesus' favor or God's favor based on my works, based off of something I've done right, or am I expecting maybe His punishment based off of something I've done wrong? Okay, that is not the gospel; that is a false gospel. Um, in your in the band app, I, I I posted on there for you guys a few questions to to, to wrestle through. That's one of them. Uh, yeah, how have you viewed your own worth in the past? All right? Have you based your worthiness on what you've done right or wrong? And in this story, this centurion is the only one that has a correct view of himself and of Jesus. All right? Do you need to spend some time this week uh, repenting of thinking too highly of yourself and too lowly of Jesus? Okay, uh, that's that's some reflection questions for you, some thoughts for you uh, to chew on during the week. Uh, let me pray for us, Jesus. Um, you're amazing. Uh, not only do you have true authority and true power, uh, but you you're humble, right? And you and you uh, and you care for the people that come to you in humility and in uh, and in faith. Uh, Jesus, would you make us people? that come to you with humility and with faith, uh, that don't try to earn our way into your favor, uh, that, that look at you and say, we don't measure up. Uh, Jesus, would you, would you forgive us for that? Would you forgive us for, um, uh, for trying to, uh, to just earn our own way into your favor? We love you, Jesus. We wanna love you more. Um, pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.